to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And sometimes our bodies are a little weak. And so we want <clears throat> to just acknowledge that up front. I'm a little bit puny this morning. So if I seem like I'm not excited to be here, that's just because I'm puny. Okay? Um, so don't let that bother you. And, and please just let, let the worship that you've already presented to the Lord continue as we now together look into His Word. Um, wonder if any of you have ever been on a city bus, or maybe you've taken a train ride. You get on that train, <clears throat> or you get on that bus, how do you know when the ride is over? When you get to your destination, right? Seems like a no-brainer. How do I know when my ride is done? It's when I get where I was going. And so I want to talk a little bit about that this morning with the idea that some of us, we, we've, we've kind of lost the understanding of that because faith is very much like that bus ride or that train ride. You get on the, the train with a destination in mind. Maybe it's a prayer request that you've put before the Lord. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's finishing a, 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 a degree. Maybe it's a relationship that you're praying about. But you kind of have a destination in mind. You get on that train, you start praying about it, you start believing God for it. And all along the ride, there are places where you could get off. Now, it's not your destination yet, but you could get off. You could get sidetracked. You could see something pretty on the side and want to get off the train at the wrong place. And you could settle, now understanding, disappointed, incomplete, unfulfilled, but you could settle short of your destination. See, faith in the Lord is a lot like that because faith is a growing thing, and you can stop it growing by you know, quenching the, the Spirit or quenching the, 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 the Word of the Lord. Faith is a developing thing. Faith in the Lord is developing like a train ride. It's like that old train track. And when we get to the end to overcoming faith, it will be because we stayed on the train all the way. I heard Adrian Rogers many years ago used to compare faith and, and walking with the Lord to a train, a railroad that is. Because the railroad goes on two tracks, trust and obey. And he called it the old T&O. And if you'll just stay on the T&O, you'll get where you're going. I thought, that's cool, but I'll never get to use it. But I just did. <laughs> so I'm going to use that whole, that whole motif of a train ride this morning, if you don't mind, because it just helps me to keep where I'm, where I'm trying to understand and where I'm trying to take us. Because today I want us to meet a man back in Mark chapter 5, uh, right where we left off last week, we're going to see this man who got on that faith train or that gospel train, and he rode that process or that train all the way to the miracle. And in the process, his life was radically and forever changed. So if you would, open your Bibles there to Mark chapter number 5, and we're going to begin reading about verse number 21, which is where we began last week, but we've, we're going to have a different... Uh, emphasis this week, this man named Jairus is going to be our main character this week. So if you would, you begin reading along with me as I begin reading in chapter 5 of Mark, verse number 21, and we'll have the words on the screen, but I do encourage you to have your own copy of the Word of God open in your lap if you can. So verse 21, and when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him, and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing him fell at his feet and entreated him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. 
Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. And he went off with him. And a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. Let's stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, we come right now wanting to be fed from your word, asking you to change us from what we have been into what we will be. And Father God, we place ourselves in your hands this morning, asking you to be the teacher, asking you to be the comforter, asking you, Holy Spirit, to be the the guide as we take this journey of faith together. I ask you to make your word burst a flame in our hearts, settle old questions, seal new decisions today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first thing I want you to see is that Jairus, this man, came to Jesus because of a crisis that has struck in his household. His little girl, and we find out there as he tells Jesus the reason for his coming, his little girl of 12 years old is at the point of death. She's gravely ill. And so he has set out to find the one man that he thinks can do something about it. Now, Jairus, being a a leader of the synagogue, he may have been pretty well off. He might have just been a layman who was pretty normal, you know, as far as wealth goes. But he would have known where the doctor's office was. He would have known who he could call in, and he's tried everything. Now his little girl is at the point of death. As he says there to Jesus, she is at the point of death. She could go any moment. And he has run to find Jesus, the one man he knows can do something about it. And so I want us to think briefly about three things that we can discover that this man was, was steps, if you will, things that he had to experience here on his way to overcoming faith because this was an amazing experience. First of all, I want us to see his train ride of faith. And again, I'll use that just because it helps me remember. But we're going to see his ride on the train, but then how much did the ticket to that train cost? And what did he find at the destination? Okay, and then after that, we're going to follow his example and get, some, get on our own train of faith if we need to, and hopefully we will, we'll want to, and see God move in our lives as he did for this man named Jairus. So first of all, the train that he rode. And before we get too far down the track, understand some, some things about this man Jairus. First of all, I love how it says it. One of the synagogue's officials named Jairus. Why in the world do we get to know his name? I mean, after all, when Mark speaks about other people in here, it's just a man. It's just a woman. It's the man. It's the woman. What was so special about this guy that we get to know his name? And somebody could say, well, duh, they went to his house later on. His little girl was raised from the dead. That's going to be something that's going to stick in your mind, right? Well, yeah, okay, granted that. But there was probably another reason why they would have known who he was that fast. Remember I told you that Simon Peter was the one who kind of dictated this gospel to, to Mark. Simon Peter would have been there. Remember he was there? Okay. But Simon would have recognized Jairus before that, before he started talking. You say, wait a minute, how would J- Simon have known him? Where were, there were At least four of the disciples were from the city called Capernaum, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. We know for sure they were from this town. And in the town of Capernaum, there would have been one, count them, one synagogue. They didn't have the first Baptist synagogue and the second Baptist synagogue and the first Methodist synagogue and the first Pentecostal synagogue and all and on and on you go. No, they had one. And that was where everybody would have gone to worship. So guess who would have been worshiping there with Jairus? Well, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They might have grown up in that church, and there's the guy. He was one of the older men, or he was one of the leaders. Wouldn't have been that much older because he had a 13-year-old daughter, but he would have been one of the leaders. He might have been a Sunday school teacher to, a, to, to Andy or, or to Pete or to Jimmy or to James. You'll forgive me for using their common names. 
But they would have been growing. They were just boys in the town to Jairus because he was a leader in this synagogue. And when he came to see Jesus, this lay leader, this person who would have been somebody that had clout and, and, and involvement there in their lives, when he came and threw himself at the feet of Jesus, Peter, James, John, and Andrew would have immediately recognized him. Nobody would have been more surprised to see Jairus at the feet of Jesus than those four men. Nobody would have been more encouraged. Can you imagine how encouraging that would be? Even the guy that we already respect because he's the leader of the synagogue is here believing in Jesus. This is great. That would have been an encouraging moment. But not only that, it probably would have been a shocking moment because, wow, look at what he had to give up to come here. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Because knowing that he was an official of that synagogue and knowing that the boys would have known him from before also means that Jairus, a leader of the synagogue there in Capernaum, would have been present for every one of the miracles, every one of the wonders, every one of the signs that Jesus performed and did and ministered in that synagogue. Who would have been there? Well, Jairus would have been there. So when, when, when Jairus comes and throws himself at the feet of Jesus... Jairus was aware of Jesus because of what he'd seen Jesus do. Jairus was aware of Jesus' power and of Jesus' mercy and of Jesus' compassion. So when Christ is struck in his home, I mean, here's news that was grim, news that is, you know, the future's dark, your daughter is, 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 is winding down her life, you better get ready for the end. As that darkness fell in his life, the life of his family, like a single beacon of light in the far distance on a dark night like a single hopeful lighthouse on a stormy night at sea there was one tiny little light of hope still shining for this man Jairus all his hope was gone all his all his his expectations were on the ground except what about what about that that country rabbi Jesus that guy from Nazareth who's been coming what about what about Jesus maybe Maybe all that despair and hope could be set aside for just a moment, or despair and fear could be set aside for just a moment and re rekindle that hope. And so I want to describe the first stop on this, where, where he's going to get on his gospel train or get on his believing train. I want to call that the hope, the, the hoping faith. Let's call it hoping faith. I was going to say wondering faith, because a lot of times this is the place where you start to wonder, I wonder if God could do anything about this. Boy, I hope so. I wonder if Jesus, who could touch blind eyes and they open, and Jesus, who could, who could touch deaf ears and they open, I wonder if he could take care of my little daughter. Because you see, the first ride, now the first stop for any train ride on this particular railroad is this I'm wondering. I begin to think maybe Jesus could, maybe Jesus would. I, I hope so. I mean, I don't even know if he would yet, but I hope so. See, because... What, what Jairus is leaving behind is uncertainty. He's leaving behind fear. He's leaving behind uh, what he can see. He's got to leave behind all of his unbelief because all those things are still going to make himself fit, felt. Yes, he's on the belief train. He's starting to go towards the Lord. He's starting to understand that God can do something about this. But that's a tough first step. And most of us have been there. Because when you can see this monstrous crisis right in front of you, it's hard to... To, to set that to one side and hold on to that little bit of faith you've got. You see this great crisis that's hit in his life. I mean, in, in times of crisis in your own life. And you've said, but God can handle it. You know, I, my wife is one of those. that She just, God can handle that. She just out of her, just God can handle that. That's no big deal for God. 
And I think, sweetie, you don't understand the whole situation. And that's probably, that could have been what Mr. Jairus was saying. I believe Jesus, that's, you know, I've seen him do some amazing things, but you don't understand. She's sick. She's really going downhill. So in times of crisis, in times of pain, in times of sickness, those, those unfamiliarities of, I think I could follow Christ, but oh, I'm a little scared. But while he's feeling helpless, while he's feeling, looking at the broken body of his daughter, maybe he's thinking back to those long lines of broken, helpless bodies that were waiting to get in to see Jesus. You know, he would have been in that town when the whole city gathered at the door to see Jesus, and he was watching people with broken, wounded, and, and, and diseased bodies walk into the presence of the Master and walk out healed. He saw them. He was watching them go. He would have known those people. There were local folks people who'd been sick for years, people who'd been broken for years, and as they went to see Jesus, they walked out healed. That'd be an encouragement to me. He could remember back to that time when Jesus had been willing, when Jesus had been able, when Jesus had been their answer. So he began to wonder, maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus would be our answer. I hope so. Boy, I think that'd be great. And, and he was on the train. But then he came to the first station, the first place where he could have gotten knocked off the train of, of, of belief, if you will. He could have stayed behind, or he could go on on the train when he leaves from hoping faith, moving on into expectant faith. Because it stops being, I just think Jesus maybe could, I hope so, to, you know what, I know Jesus could handle this. This is not that big a deal for the, for the one who could open blind eyes. I've seen enough to know that Jesus could Heal my daughter. In fact, I'm certain that he could after just what I've seen. We, Sonia and I have had occasion to pray for things that sometimes stretch our faith. And uh, I've had Sonia to tell me, well, what's the big deal? If God created the eyes in the first place, God can give her new eyes. If God created ears in the first place, God can give them new ears. And I think, sweetie, you just don't understand the whole situation. But she's just walking by faith. Well, here, this man who... Now, hoping against hope, he begins to have expectant faith. I am certain that he could. See, remember, we have to remember exactly a little bit more about this man's life. We, we understand it. We know it's there. But we'll go back and review it a little bit because it's been June of last year when we talked about that man who was demon-possessed in the, in the synagogue. And Jesus walked into that synagogue, and this demon-possessed man had a fit, started screaming and yelling. You remember that probably because I'm real excited about the screaming and yelling part. J. Iris would have been there to see that. And the same Jesus who would have been willing and available to say, hey, I'm going to touch this man's life. I'm going to cast out this demon. That same Jesus, Jairus began to be expecting that he could take care of his little daughter. But not only was he there to see that demon-possessed uh, man healed, delivered, but he was also there the day when the man with the withered hand was set in the midst. And by the way, Jairus might have been one of the rascals that set him there. Remember, because that was basically a setup. Might talk a little bit more about that a little, long, little later, but somebody from the local faith community had put this man with a withered hand in the synagogue to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus comes in on that day, and here's Jairus, and everybody's watching. And, and, and in the midst of people being there out to get Jesus, Jesus still healed the man, and it says he made his hand like unto the other. Right there in church and everything. So Jairus' faith went from being this hopeful, wondering, I guess maybe so kind of faith, right into expectant faith. Though still a little bit hesitant, he's still holding back. He's still he's on the train, it's just not there yet. 
And then the faith train went past another potential stop and went on to certain faith. Was Not only do I know that he, he might, not only do I know that he definitely could, but now I'm to the place where I'm beginning to think he actually would, even for me. He went from able to might to could to, oh, yes, he would. I'm positive he would. I've seen it. He could have said, well, I've seen Jesus touch and heal and deliver and, 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 and you know, as I said, granting new sight, granting new ears. I am certain that my daughter has hope in Jesus. I am certain that my daughter has a future with Jesus. Now, he's ridden the train almost to his destination, okay? But he's not there yet. Because up until now, it's all been inside his heart. It's all been kind of an intellectual exercise where he's kind of going, yeah, I'm getting this, I'm thinking this through, I'm expecting this to happen now. It's all up until this point been a matter of decision making. But there's one more step, and that's the step of moving faith. You have to be willing to respond where he decided, I will go to Jesus, I will ask Jesus, I'll leave my safe little home, and I will move. See, friends, listen. A firm decision is a wonderful thing. I firmly decided I was going to ask Sonia to marry me. But until I actually spoke the words, it was just potential. I had made the decision. It was ready to go. But until it blurted out, and by the way, it did kind of blurt. It wasn't one of these down on one knee kind of sweetie. Oh, we're in, in aspirin and snow is falling. No, 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 no. It was a blurt and it was over. <clears throat> yes. Okay, but it has to go from I'm hoping faith, expectant faith, I've got to move, I've got to go ahead and speak the words or make the movement. A firm decision is all well and good, but only if it moves you to a response. See, it's kind of like an airplane. I can believe that that airplane will take me to Seattle. I've seen it go to Seattle. I've seen it come back from Seattle. It does it every day. I believe it can do it, but until I stop believing that the plane can take me to Seattle and I get in the plane to take me to Seattle, I don't really have faith that it's going to take me to Seattle. It's like the difference between having faith that Jesus loves me and having faith in the Jesus that loves me. That's the difference, faith that or faith in. We see his genuine faith now in action. Okay, it was born in crisis. But he goes to Jesus, and because he was willing to ride that train all the way to moving faith, past that last uh, destination where he could have gotten off, he arrives at overcoming faith. He received the answer to his prayer. His daughter is going to be raised. We're going to read that here in just a moment. That's kind of the anatomy of overcoming faith. it's, It's always a process. Now, some people get on this gospel train and ride that process all in about five minutes. Because uh, some, some people who come to Christ, they come to a gospel service and they hear the, the, the Lord's uh, the, uh, the presentation of the, uh, uh, the saving faith, they pre- the presentation of a, of a gospel witness, and they go from never having heard of Christ to being a Christian in about 20 minutes. Some people, that's how long it takes them to ride that train. Some people are riding that train for a lifetime. And by that, I mean somebody who's been praying for a loved one or praying for a a moving of God's hand and God's spirit. Some people ride it for just a few minutes, and they're there. Some people are still riding it for something they prayed for 20 years ago. But moving in faith and looking expectantly for God's answer, listen, there are no shortcuts. We're going to be on that train. It's like the, the, the Scripture talks about it as a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. It's a daily. Faith comes to all the same way. What does Scripture say? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the 
Word of God. That's right. We all get faith the same way. It's not some special squirt for some and not for others. So the train he rode, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but the second way, the ticket that he had to pay to get on the train. So that was his train ride of faith, but what did it cost him? Because there are always struggles. When you start to move in faith, you start to overcome or, or to move in a direction that God has called you to, there's or always struggles. And this overcoming faith, it encountered several obstacles along the way. And I won't take time to go into all the obstacles. But you know, sometimes fear is not the opposite of faith. Fear can be overcome by faith. Doubt is the opposite of faith. And so this man was able to overcome his fear as he walked by faith. That was an obstacle he had to deal with. And we could spend a lot of time on that because he had that little girl in his home. He watched her slowly get worse. He also had to overcome the obstacle of geography. Now, God helped him with this one a great deal because Jesus could have been off on the other side of the, of the lake still. God brought Jesus back to the man, and this was overcome, really, by the working and action of God. And by the way, that's how God gets to you. You don't know where he is, but he comes to you. And that's how we find the Lord. He comes to us. He's, it's like... I keep using Sonia. She chased me till, or excuse me, I chased her. <clears throat> yeah, I chased her till she caught me. That's what I was going to say. Jesus came looking for you long before you were looking for him. And he found you. Even when we would have needed to overcome the obstacle of geography, Jesus comes. That's one of the reasons he came, invaded time and space, and came into this world to create an opportunity for us to be saved when he went to that cross. Uh, he overcame the obstacle of the calendar. But mostly I want to talk about the losses that he had to face. This man, Jairus, remember who he was, a ruler of the synagogue, he had to face the possible loss of respect of his peers. Remember, he was on the side of the synagogue rulers, okay? And here comes this man who's just teaching in the synagogue by the name of Jesus. And this guy... Maybe, maybe for us, losing respect or losing the, uh, you know, the respect of our peers is no big deal. But for this man, he had been a ruler for a while. He had the respect of this congregation. He had a position as a ruler. Would this choice, that is to go and throw himself at the feet of Jesus and beg for help, would this choice to plead with Jesus and to therefore depend on Jesus and to place his trust and faith in Jesus, was that going to cost him some respect? Was that going to cost him uh, some, in fact, it's kind of like changing jerseys. He's changing teams. He's leaving one team and going to join another. And as a ruler in that synagogue, he probably, and I, this is, I'm kind of inferring this from the scripture and what we know here, but he probably was one of the leaders who would have been in charge of calling the God squad, or the hit squad, that is, that came down to try to catch Jesus in his words. Because every time Jesus, after he spoke in the synagogue the first couple of times, there were always scribes and Pharisees following him around trying to catch him in his words. And this would have been one of the guys maybe who was a, a, some, a local religious leader who would have sent them. But remember in chapter 2, just, just kind of as a review, when Jesus saw the, 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 all the different brothers, they let their friend down through the, the roof. You remember that story where Jesus is teaching and here comes the man on the pallet through the roof? And what is Jesus? He looks up and he sees their faith and what does he say? Be of good cheer. Your, he says, seeing their faith, he says, your sins are forgiven. Chapter, well, I better read it. I'm, I'm misquoting it. Don't want to do that, do we? Chapter 2, verse 5, I believe it is. 
Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their heart, Why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who put those scribes and Pharisees there in that house? It would have been the local religious community trying to catch this country rabbi in his words. Somebody, oh, I don't know, like Jairus perhaps? After Jesus healed the man with the withered hand, right during Sabbath, the Pharisees and the Herodians went out and decided they wanted to kill him. That's in chapter 3. So this changing of loyalty was going to cost Jairus in their eyes, or was it? It probably was. He didn't see that as too high a price to pay to get to Jesus. He saw that as more than, than payable. That was a small price to pay. He faced the loss of that respect, but he also, because of that, lost the possible, faced the possible loss of position because his power, his prestige, his position in the community would have kind of centered around what he was doing there at the synagogue. Could they have kicked him out of the synagogue for this? Oh, yeah. Could they have decided he wasn't their friend anymore? Oh, yeah. He could have lost his job, could have lost his position. But once and for all, Jairus had made a choice to exercise this overcoming faith, paying the price. Jairus had chosen sides. He could, in fact, think of it this way. He could have chosen power and position, or he could hope in God that Jesus would heal his daughter. He could have chosen security and tradition, or he could hope in God that Jesus would heal his daughter. He could choose comfort and authority, or he could choose to hope in God for the healing of his daughter. And remember this. He used to have a seat at the power table. Okay, He was one of those guys. He was willing to give that up. Some of you grew up and you know in your high school, your grade school, your junior high school, you know where the, the cute girls and the cool kids all sit. And if you could go sit at the cool kids table, well, that's where you wanted to sit. And if you did something wrong, they could kick you out. Nobody wanted to get kicked out of the cool kids. Jairus was willing to get kicked out of the cool kids to get his daughter healed, to get his daughter to Jesus, to get his daughter to the place of life again. He was willing to exercise this overcoming faith. But he also overcame that fear. And I'm talking about the fear of an undeniable disease process. And there is nothing harder than to watch a long, slow, withering disease process. It's a horrible thing to watch, especially if it's a beloved child who is suffering. But he set the reality of that pain aside. He set the reality of that fear to one side, that suffering. He set it all aside, and he went to Jesus. But it wasn't over yet. He went to Jesus. We just got to that point. Okay, he gets to Jesus. He makes his request. We're back in verse, uh, let's start in 23. He entreated him earnestly, saying, My little daughter's at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well. And the most amazing thing, the most encouraging thing that happened next, Jesus went with the man. Jesus began to follow Jairus back to the house. It says there in verse 24, He went off with him. And as they're going, this is where we have the crowd delay, because it says, Whoosh, a huge crowd started following him. And so they're doing this, trying to get through the crowd, trying to get to the house of Jairus. And they're pushing. And I'm sure Jairus was probably not being real sweet. Excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me. I'm sure he was one of these kind of marine, make a hole, make it wide. Sorry, I didn't mean to wake you up there. <laughs> That's the way it was. He's getting everybody through. But now he's not only faces a crowd delay, there's a miracle delay. Because as he's pushing forward, somebody else is pulling back, and Jesus stops and talks to this little woman. And then we don't have to have a crowd delay and a, and a miracle delay. Now we've got a testimony delay as she just stops and she tells the whole story. 
and Jairus is over there. We got to go. We need to go. Come on. You were coming with me. We need to go. Now that's me putting myself in the place of Jairus. I don't know if he did that. But here this woman pronounces her faith, pronounces what happened to her, gives the whole thing. And in verse 34, he, this is Jesus, says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. And in that moment, verse 35, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? They came and told him the devastating news. You don't need the healer anymore. There's no point in healing. She's died. It's time to go home and get ready for a funeral. Let's go home and bury your daughter. We come to get you. How would your faith react in that moment? How would you stand up under those withering words, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher anymore? Well, the ruler, that is Jairus, he didn't say a word. Now, Jesus did. You see, the Lord Jesus knew what was going on in the heart of that man, the fear, the despair, the, 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 the way his heart probably just dropped, that it was over, the hope was gone, it was done. Jesus felt that, Jesus knew that, Jesus understood that. We know that because of what Jesus said next when he said, do not be afraid, only believe. And the Greek, the way it's put together there, it, it kind of gives the idea that what he really was saying, don't be afraid like he used to be. Don't be afraid any longer. It actually gives it in the New American Standard. The older versions say, just believe. Don't be afraid anymore. Jesus understood where the man was. Don't be afraid. In fact, what to, to, to extend my metaphor a little bit, don't get off the train over this. Don't let this derail you. See, when Jesus said only believe, really this was a continuation of that faith journey Jairus had first begun way back there in the synagogue when he first saw that, that man being re released from the demon. That, this was another continuation of that faith journey, and he had this one last obstacle to overcome. And isn't it wonderful that God had so arranged his universe that this man, Jairus, could see this woman healed and set free from her affliction right there in front of him as he was about to get that news. Well, it's just a coincidence. Coincidence, my big toe. I don't believe, do you believe in coincidences? Not hardly, as John Wayne used to say. God blessed her with healing and freedom from suffering, but the Lord also used that moment to keep Jairus' train on the tracks, keep his faith train rolling down the road, down the railroad. As great as Jairus' faith has come, this was a massive blow. His 12-year-old little daughter. Well, over here is a daughter of Abraham who's had a disease for 12 years. I guess that's just a coincidence, too. 12-year-old daughter, 12 years of suffering. No coincidence there. The whole time that they'd been rejoicing in their growing daughter's life, this dear woman had been slowly dying, but she was saved. And so he faced the last obstacle. Here it was, the loss of all human respect. That's earthly prestige. The loss of all earthly position. The loss of all earthly hope. But his faith still held on. Now, only holding on to those words of Jesus, only believe. Losing all that was not too great a price to pay because his faith wasn't in himself. It wasn't in anything he could do, anything he had. His faith now, he was believing only and completely in Jesus. And because he held on to that, his train of hope 
The train he rode, the, the ticket he bought became the triumph he enjoyed. And at this moment, we've got to re-enter the story here. As I, We kind of left out on verse 34 there where Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And try to picture this as Jesus. Now, I don't know. Rabbis usually didn't touch people. But Jesus being Jesus, he may have had his arm around that little woman. He may have at least been holding onto her shoulder. And as he's saying, your faith has made you well, be healed of your affliction. While he's still speaking, verse 35 again, they came from the house of the synagogue official. Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? They came with this crushing news. And imagine Jesus with his arms still around this woman says, don't you dare listen to that. Or in fact, stop being afraid. Don't be afraid any longer. Don't let what they've said birth fear in your heart or derail your faith or trip you up. Only believe. And then Jesus did something amazing. He thinned out the crowd. Look, let's, let's read the rest of it kind of one verse at a time. Um, they said to the, to, you know, why bother the teacher anymore? Verse 36, Jesus overhearing what was spoken said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. In other words, he left Andrew, the rest of the apostles, and the whole crowd there, and just a few people went on towards Jairus' house. He allowed no one else to follow and I think he did that because he wasn't trying to make a big show out of this. This man, Jairus, and his, his grief, this man, Jairus, and what was about to happen, Jesus wasn't trying to make a big flashy show of what he was going to do. He wasn't trying to capitalize on this man's grief. So they go on towards the house, and in verse 38, they came to the house of the synagogue official, and behold, a commotion and people weeping and loud, or weeping, loudly weeping and wailing. In other words, they got home to the man's house, and the funeral had already, already begun. Now, there were professional mourners there, and there were genuine grieving people. See, in that day, the funeral always happened on the day of the death because you needed to get them in the ground that day. That was part of Jewish tradition. And so they had professional mourners who maybe didn't even know the family would come over, and they'd start to blow up this commotion and make all kinds of big noise. And Jesus walks into that commotion where these people are wailing and screaming and crying out about how terrible it is that this little girl has died. And as true as that was... They were being paid to do that. They had no connection with the family. And Jesus comes into that, looking at the commotion. He says in verse 39, entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. He saw the commotion. He acknowledged the genuine tears, and they laughed at him. Look at verse 40. And they began laughing at him. Now think about this. This. They were at one moment wailing and squalling, and oh my goodness, she's died. What are we going to do? And the next moment they were laughing at him. In 0.7 seconds, they went from wailing and crying to derisive laughter. That shows how much of a profession they had. And so what did Jesus do? This visitor who had just come into their house, Jesus took over. By the way, when Jesus comes into your house, he's liable to take over. Because if you invite him in as Lord, you don't invite him in as a guest. You invite him in as King and Lord and Savior and Master. And he's going to take over. When Jairus invited him in, he came in and he took over. He started shoving people out the door. By the way, did Jesus ever do that to your life where he came into your life and started shoving people and things? And, uh, uh, yeah, it'll happen. It's part of the salvation and, and growing and, and the whole process. But Jesus, this guest arrives, he begins to take, take charge, he runs people out, and then the five adults plus Jesus, that is Peter, James, and John, the mother and the father, plus Jesus, go into the room where the little girl is. Verse 40, putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions, entered the room where the child was, and then Jesus takes her by the hand. It's so precious. In verse, what is it, 41, taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, 
which translated means little girl, I say to you, arise. And that's so blocky and so kind of awkward in English. But he takes the little girl by the hand, and in Aramaic, he says to her, Talita, kum. And in that moment, she obeyed. She got up. Now, everybody else is wailing and screaming and squalling. It's over. We're done. Talita, kum. And she gets up, and she starts to walk around. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 42, and immediately the girl arose and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. He gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that something should be given her to eat. She obeyed. He even gave orders to make sure she got fed, because after all, she'd been sick a while. She's probably weak. She needs some chow. And he took care of even that. Now, I give Jesus all the credit. I give Jesus all the honor and all the glory. Only Christ Jesus, by the power of of being almighty God himself could do something like this but I have to ask myself the question what might have happened if this synagogue ruler had given up and gotten off the train early what if right before he got to that place he had given up and just decided you know Jesus didn't have any reason to help me I mean he yeah he did that for others but why would he do it for me what if he had given up right before he got to his destination what a tragic situation that would be by the way, aren't you glad he didn't? Aren't you glad he wrote it to the end? We get to enjoy and, and, and hear this, this precious story of Jesus and his mercy and compassion. What can we learn from Jairus on his ride? Very quickly, all of us are on faith journeys. All of us are, are once you begin to believe in Christ, you're riding this train, you're on this faith journey. Some of us prayed a long time ago, and we're on a journey that's lasted many years. Some of us prayed last night, and we just got on the train. But each one of us, we're going to have daily stops on that train, or on that bus route, if you will, where we could either trust and go on, or we could doubt and get off. We're going to have daily choices where we can believe and go on, or we can fear and get off. We're going to have places where we can obey and keep rolling or we can bail out and just give up. Because every time we make that choice, that's the daily walk of faith where we're getting stronger in the, in the faith. We're getting stronger in the Lord. We're getting stronger, a little bit closer to victory. Some got on the train maybe because of a tragic loss. It was a crisis. It was a pressing need. It was a job loss or a critical illness. Some people get on the train because it's just, hey, I've discovered that the truth of God's Word is more intelligent, it's better. I see more, more evidence for that than I see for the world's lies. I'm going to get on God's train. Some of the people, they get on the train because God's called them to service, because God has just set them a job and a calling. And whichever one you are, we're all on that train ride of faith. And we all, once in a while, need an encouragement. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. You're this close to your miracle. Don't you give up. This close may be five years. But if you give up today, you'll never get there. Don't you give up. Don't you quit. How tragic to give up one stop before our destination. Giving up one prayer short of a miracle. Second thing, very quickly. Jairus trusted as much in the heart and character of Jesus as he did in the power of God. See, Jairus had no doubt that Jesus could do this. The the sticking point, I'm sure, for most of us and for Jairus was probably being convinced that Jesus would be willing to do it for him. I was his enemy. I was his critic. I was there bringing in the people to hurt him and to, to accuse him. Why would he love me? Why would he do this for me? And by the way, most of us, because we know our hearts, we realize what deadly sinners we are and how far from God we've strayed. Our main problem is not that we believe what, that we don't believe Jesus can do it. It's that he won't do it for me because you don't know how bad I am, preacher. You don't know how bad I really am. I mean, I can't deny his power, but will he do it for me? 
Well, understand this. When we are in prayer, when we get on that faith train, we're not looking for something that's my destination or my desire or my want or my will. What I'm doing is I'm finding out what God wants to do. I'm getting on the train to go where he wants me to go because it starts off with faith in Christ to be my Savior. God wants you to be saved. Once I admit that and I get on the train for that, the destination becomes the will of God. The destination becomes the glory of God. The destination becomes the kingdom of God for the, king, the place of God and the plan of God. God's no respecter of persons. If you'll get on that train believing for His glory, for His will, and for His purposes, He will take you where you want to go. You say, well, I don't want to go there. If you had sense enough to, to know where you really needed to go, you'd want to go where God was going to take you. That's free, no extra charge. But finally... And this is probably the most precious that I get from it. For the believer, death is not the final word. Y'all, that's good news. For the believer, death is not the final word. When that brother comes and gives you the bad news, when that doctor says cancer, when that doctor or that, that lawyer says IRS, ugh! Death is not the final word. When that man came and announced to Jairus, your daughter has passed away, that was not exactly the news that Jairus was wanting to hear. But because of Jesus, in the face of even death, we can say death is not the overcomer. Death is not the winner here. Death is not the final word. And every bit as much as Jairus was given another chance with his precious little daughter, if you and I are born again, we will see our saved loved ones again. I stand in front of coffins so often, and I tell people, this is not the final word. This brother, this sister, they're in heaven today rejoicing with Jesus, and one day we will go there, and we will see them, and we will know them, and we will love them, and they will be on, on the other side waiting on us because death is not the final word. Death is not the victor. Grave has lost its power. Why? Because Jesus has conquered death. And when we place our faith we place our trust, we place our hope in Him, we can know that death is not the end. And so I close this morning with the question, have you done that? Have you placed your faith and your trust and your hope in Him? Scripture says that if we will confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. Only you know if you've actually done that. Oh, I go to church. That's not what I asked. Well, I've been a member down there for you. I don't, that's not what I'm wondering. I give every Sunday. Well, I'm grateful that you do that, but that's not going to get you to heaven. Have you put your hand in the nail-scarred hand? Have you said to him, Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? Let's pray. Mm -hmm.